from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 449. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and Fitbod. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm very excited because I get to welcome back to the show my friend and yours, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. Where's Where's Casey? Isn't Casey doing the I show now? I fired him. What? Okay. He's no Jason Snell. He's a good Casey he list, he but he's no Jason Snell. You know what I mean? Aww. Nobody yeah, is. Yeah, it was uh, extremely weird to see you recording and posting and uh you know new episodes of uh-huh. upgrade appearing in my in my feed it was extremely weird i felt an, i felt a pressure so i'm happy that you're back you know it's just it's complicated right to for to do to do a show that's meant to it's really just the two of us it's always the two of us always you right up until it is point. well i mean this is what i have to do when i'm i feel the same thing right when i get guest hosts for you is it's a different dynamic mm-hmm. because then, then in 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 that case, not only am I leading the conversation, which you take the lead here, but uh, it's that same thing of like I want to be a good host, like as you said last week to Casey, a, a good uh, like house host type host yep. of like clean up all the mess and here's the show document and I'm gonna make sure I don't mess it up and all of those things. It's a totally different dynamic. Mm-hmm. I have a snow talk question for you that comes from me, and I would like to know, did you have a nice break? Yeah. Now, uh, I let that sit there because um, Casey was giving me a hard time about adding tangents to snow talk questions instead of directly answering them last week. Uh, and I just wanted to point out, and it's fresh because I listened to it on the plane. Uh-huh. Um, I just want to point out, that's what happens if I don't do tangents to these questions. Yeah. I end up saying just like, Yep, and then we move on. And I thank everybody for sending in their questions. We move into yeah, follow-up. yeah. It's a just, a, it's a yes. Now that would be a heck of a move to have a, a yes or no question open every episode of Upgrade. Oh, I can't wait wait to see if it's yes or no. Maybe that's the summer uh, of or fun, or like a one word answer. What's your favorite color? Blue. Yeah, summer of fun is just just yes or no answers for the whole season. Yeah, so. So sometimes you got to weave, what I'm saying, Casey, is you got to weave a story and you got to try to try to make it a thing because otherwise, I mean, and it does occasionally happen that you put a snow talk question in there and I'm like, Mike, I have no, I have nothing for this. I'll just be like, no, Jason, have you ever done this? No. All right, great. Moving on. So yes, I had a nice break. We had a great time. It has been since your wedding that we took two weeks away from home and it has been since 2004 since my wife and I have been on a two-week vacation together without our children without any children we didn't even have well I mean technically in 2004 we did have one of our children with us but he was being carried on the inside it's been a long time so it was great if you would like to send in a snow talk question preferably with an open it's like an open question not so much right or suggestion for what tangents we could go on during it that would be great like in parentheses Mm -hmm. or something go to upgradefeedback.com and you can now select snow talk question from the the Mm -hmm. drop down but you don't have to do that i you can send in whatever you want and i can decide where it will go but it is nice for me uh because on the back end now i have a way of just selecting each little segment and getting the things that i need now, Jason, I know you weren't here the last couple of weeks, but I do have a little bit of follow-up. Some of it is directly related to our last episodes, but actually most of it is related to things from the pre-vacation time. Okay, great. So the most important one is is a good correction that comes from Shintan, who's wrote in to remind me, because we were talking about Tim Cook and Charity, and we were talking right. about one. Me and Casey were wondering if Tim Cook had done like the billionaire pledge thing, where like I'm going to give all my money away. I know that actually has a different name than that, but I can't remember what it is. The Bill Gates thing, right? Like that that like pledge that you give all your money yeah. away when you die. 
Well, in 2015, Tim Cook pledged that he would give his wealth to charity after paying for the schooling of his relatives. So, like, I think it was his nephews. Um, he was going to pay for their school, uh, like, which was interesting to me that, like, just he said he will. Put, so, this is, comes from C, month, CNN Money. Cook, who is close to becoming a billionaire, oh, 2015, <laughs> says he will pay for his nephew's college education, then donate the rest of his wealth to philanthropic projects, according to Fortune. Yeah, so there th- you go. I remember this. At the, I Now I remember this, having read it, and I remember feeling now the same thing I felt then, which was to be Tim Cook's nephew, kind of great that he's paying for your college, but you'd like maybe just like... Hmm. A little more, you know, like, come on, Uncle rich, Tim. Rich like, Uncle Tim. Can't you yeah. at least buy me a house? You know what I mean? But hey. Well, I mean, maybe he, that's maybe like also buy you this house to live in, this mansion yeah. to live in while you're going to school and then it's yours. And it's the, called the Giving Pledge, by the way, although the Billionaire Pledge to give away all your money is a great name. <laughs> I like that too. I might start that. I'm going to compete with, with Bill Gates and set up the Billionaire Pledge mm-hmm. to give away all of your money. Mm-hmm. But so there you go. That's a good correction. Uh, because that's an important thing. It's just interesting. All the way back in 2015, I n- did not remember that at all. That was nearly 10 years ago now. Yeah, I don't think it's surprising given his... I mean, he he is somebody who has very publicly discussed lots of social issues. Like, I, I'm not surprised at all that he would... And, of course, he instated the uh, all of Apple's uh, charity matching and stuff that Steve Jobs um, didn't do. Yep. And so I, I'm not surprised at all that uh, to be reminded that Tim is, is, uh, is already already there he's already going to give it away except for the nephew stuff the nephews we're going to take care of you it's Rich soccer time going to take care of you jason snow soccer time in a major way in 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 a, in a major league american way it's been for the rest of the world it's sort of been soccer time since the fall but mm-hmm. um for What's a major time for the rest league soccer way mm-hmm. it is uh it is soccer time the mls season has begun i actually watched some of an apple tv oh, live mls ask. game uh, in while well, we were doing our laundry in our hotel room okay. in Christchurch, New Zealand, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I I tuned it in. The reason I know it's MLS time is because the TV app really wants me. Oh, yeah. to to sign up. It doesn't it, 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 though. Yeah. Multiple times. Like I, what I'll say is I don't mind for Apple to to bug me about this stuff once. But like I had it happen to me on at least two occasions on my iPhone, right? Like I open my iPhone on a multiple occasions. It's like, would you like American to sign soccer up? on your iPhone? And it's just like, you know, come on. Like I don't mind you to give me one of these, but let's not keep doing it. But nevertheless, uh, I poked around in the interface that is inside of the TV app, kind of like hidden inside of the TV app, because it's really they're treating it like a channel, right? Like one of the Apple TV channels, like they call them, yeah. where you can subscribe to like. Showtime or things like that. Like I, I don't know if that's one of them, but it probably is. And you can, you know, you can you can pay for other services and it be inside of the TV app. And I thought it looked pretty interesting. Like they've they've laid everything out pretty well. There's a good schedule in there. There's like additional content that you can browse, kind of related to uh, the games and the teams. So yeah, what was your experience of watching one of these games? Did it did it uh, succeed in places where the Friday Night Baseball failed, like from a graphics perspective, from a coverage perspective, or, or what, what was your what was your experience like? Well, I, I didn't watch enough, I think, to 
make any judgments. I, I definitely, it seems fine. I've heard from people who are um, American soccer fans and MLS fans who said that it, it seems pretty good. Um, given that all the reports suggest that this all kind of came together last minute, they had to build an entire production team and set up like ever literally everything for the entire league over the off season. And uh, so it sounds like it's a work in progress and there are a whole bunch of parts of it that are missing. I, I heard from somebody who said, I just want to watch the highlights and all they'll let me do is watch, or no, I'll, I just want to watch the replay, a replay of the game. And all they'll let me do is watch highlights and I want to watch hmm. the whole game. And uh, what I said back to that person is when they started doing baseball, you couldn't pause it or back up. And they fixed that eventually. Right. Like, so I suspect that a lot of stuff is kind of being bolted onto the side of this thing as it goes. So, but it, it looked good and uh, sounded good. Although the, the game that I watched had only the local radio uh. commentary as well as the main thing. And I, I, I don't know whether there's a separate Spanish language, uh, vi- like video to watch that where you see the announcers, maybe that's the case. I, I was under the assumption that it was going to be like just in the, you choose a game and then you can choose if you want Spanish or English or whatever, but uh, maybe it's a little bit different. Um, anyway, they, they look, uh, you know, it, I thought it looked pretty good and, and certainly respectable. And, and in watching the coverage of it, it sounds like everybody involved more or less is relieved that, um, this is a perfectly, you know, well done, competent broadcast. There didn't seem to be any big disasters and it's a, and it's a, a good start for this relationship, but there's, there, I'm sure there's way more to do that mm-hmm. they just haven't gotten to yet. So speaking of uh, soccer, according to the New York Post, Apple has been rumored to be in the running to acquire the streaming rights to Pac-12 college football. So actually, that's football, not soccer. So ignore what I said. But speaking of football, that's that's this is football. Football as a as a Cal fan, mm-hmm. uh, this is my conference. Oh, it is. Uh, I bet yes. Mm-hmm. I've been watching this closely. Um, the primary rumor is ESPN and uh, and Amazon. But Apple is also in the mix yep. for this. Um, this this conference is interesting because most of the conferences are now sort of in contract. Um, and in fact, one, the Big 12 conference uh, renewed their contract. They were originally going to go last and they renewed their contract in advance. So that leaves the Pac-12 out there. And there's sort of speculation about will the Pac-12 be able to match or beat the Big 12 uh, in terms of the rights, they're they're the they're smaller deals than the two huge conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, Apple's involvement here, it's complicated. But like Pac-12, what's interesting about it is that they have they own their own network that's on cable and also um, streaming uh, with their own production facility. And so part of this deal, and one of the reasons why it might be complex, is that I would imagine that they may they may actually be selling the the networks and the production facilities as a part of the deal. Um, it's not necessarily the case, but if you were going to be producing a lot of college sports, ha- having your partner say, also, we built a machine that produces college sports, and would you like to buy it or buy half of it or something? Um, that's an interesting proposition. So um, 
most Ben Thompson wrote about this last week um, in, on Stratechery and a, in a really good post about and and Julia and I talk about it on on downstream a lot in our sports corner part of that podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on with regional sports networks in the U.S. These uh, local kind of cable networks that are are machines to generate money for local sports teams and they're all falling apart because of cord cutting and so the money is is dropping off. So there's a lot of of um, a lot of weird things happening, but one of the important things is to be visible to non-diehard fans, right? That's the reason that the MLS stuff that Apple is doing, that some of it's available for free and some of it's going to be um, is going to be actually broadcast on linear TV, uh, simulcast. Uh, that's that's to get people who are more casual uh, viewers Um with uh, the Pac-12, they could lock up Amazon or Apple possibly for all of it. It's much more likely that they have ESPN as a partner because ESPN is going to want to put some, uh, you know, Friday night college football games on ESPN proper. And the Pac-12 is going to want the exposure of being on ESPN instead of off on a streaming service somewhere. Um, but it'll be com- that deal will be combined with a deal for everything else that'll go to Amazon or Apple. Um, so it's possible. Um, very much more people talking about it being Amazon than Apple here, but they're actually both West Coast companies, and this is a West Coast uh, sports league uh, conference. So um, you know whether whether it's Seattle or Cupertino that wins the day here. Um, you know, it's wor- worth watching. It's an interesting idea because I, I don't think any of these conferences has made a a deal. Uh, with a streaming service as the primary partner before, and it may happen with the Pac-12. I wonder if a a sticking point for Apple might be trying to lock up the international, like we're just the the place where you get it. You know, like the way that they've done with Major League Soccer, which I think is great, where it's like it doesn't matter where you are in the world, if you want to watch this sport, you can just go to Apple and watch it. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the many things that was the issue with the NFL Sunday ticket is it was just never yes. going to be simple for people to watch it. And I, you know, so I would expect that Apple maybe to at least be starting with things like Major League Soccer, where they can have a bit more of a dictatorial relationship <laughs> to where these things are, are going to be shown and where they're not when it comes to the negotiations. And well, and college sports is a good example of that, where there's no big international market for, for mm-hmm. this college sports stuff. Um, they would probably get, I should say also, um, I don't think this is the streaming rights to Pac-12 college football. I, I should say college football is the thing that drives um, streaming rights. And there's some really good writers on, on the web if you want to talk about... Uh, uh, sports rights and specifically what's been going on with the Pac-12. Uh, a guy named John Casano has a uh, who worked for the newspaper in Portland for years has a Substack, um, and there's a guy named John Wilner who writes for the San Jose Mercury News who writes about this a lot. The Pac-12 is not just college football, even though that drives so much of the money. It's also right. there are a lot of college basketball games okay. there, and then there's all sorts of other um, college sports like volleyball and baseball and softball. And there's like the swim meets and there's like there, there's soccer. There, there's a, a huge cat. If you look at what's on the Pac-12 networks, it's actually an enormous catalog of content. Huh. And that one of the things that's valuable in uh, in sports streaming is having a library to say, look at all the look yeah. at all the games we've got. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that pops over into Amazon or Apple. Amazon is reportedly working on a sports app for Prime Video. And so they definitely seem to be feeling the kind of like, we want 
to fill our sports app with a catalog. Apple, with its international focus, like there's that rumor, I don't, I haven't heard any updates about it, that they were bidding for the rights to the uh, first league, soccer league in the Netherlands. Um, but I could also see an Apple strategy where they want to kind of progress, since soccer is such an international sport, that they want to keep kind of like buying out different leagues around the world and putting them inside Apple TV so that instead of like just getting MLS, you get the MLS and you get uh, the the first league in the Netherlands and you get, right, like, and they could keep going there. But um, it, it, it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Apple, what deals Apple makes and what they don't make. And it, you know, in some cases it's going to be like Sunday Ticket, I think, not just that they don't necessarily want to pay, but that it doesn't make sense for them. It's not part of their strategy. Referencing streaming rights and all that kind of stuff, I wanted to mention, because I forgot to last week, that as part of covering for Jason, I also guest hosted an episode of Downstream with Julia Alexander. We talk about a bunch of newsy stuff, like we talk about Marvel, Marvel fatigue and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, But also I got to quiz Julia about why international streaming rights are so messy. For example, why can't I get HBO Max? So if you want to go check that out, it's episode 38 of Downstream. Downstream is one of my favorite podcasts. Jason and Julia do a fantastic job of it. Um, so I recommend people go check it out. Thank you for being in there. I mean, we, Pleasure. we you and I kind of hatched the idea for it. But uh-huh. um, in the end, uh, I was I had an opening for a new show and you didn't. I so did I'm not. glad you finally got to make a little of a little almost like a homecoming because Downstream started with her guest episode of Upgrade, essentially. Yep. So it's fun. To do it that way. But as I said to Julia, I will happily be on the show or fill in any time because I had an absolute blast. It was so good. We had a great time. And we've been threatening that, I think, since episode one. Mm-hmm. I've been like, Mike Hurley's going to have to come on, and it just hasn't happened yet. So th- I'm so glad that worked out. This episode is brought to you in part by our friends at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out from the crowd of a beautiful website. You can engage directly with your audience and then sell anything. Products, services, physical, digital goods, the content you create, Squarespace has got you covered. And oh boy, do they. It's so easy to get started. You just go and sign up. For example, you go to squarespace.com upgrade. You can sign up for a free trial there with no credit card required. And you are... Given the ability to choose from a beautiful gallery of templates, it's so easy to get started with their best-in-class website templates at Squarespace. You can just browse through their categories of the type of website you want to make or the type of business that you have to find that perfect starting place. It, they even give you the ability to like just create a page structure from these templates. So, like for example, we uh, when me and Adina got married, we used Squarespace for our wedding website, and we chose from one of their wedding templates. And they had suggestions for all the types of pages you might want on the wedding website. And it was very good because there were things I would not have realized to put on the site. But Squarespace had it all there. But you can choose to use those or not. You can choose any template and customize it however you want. From fonts and colors to the layout, everything, all in just a few clicks in your web browser, in their apps. It's so easy to customize it so it feels like your own. And then you can, you've got tons of tools at your disposal. Maybe if you want to set up a blog, they have all of the tools that you want to share your stories, photos, videos, and ideas. You can categorize them, share them, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. And then you can also set up an online store so easily. Physical or digital products, Squarespace have all the tools you need and all the integrations you want to start selling online. I've been using Squarespace for probably close to 15 years now. 
for various projects over that time. They are the place that I go when I want to set up a website. So go to squarespace.com slash upgrade and you can sign up for a free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to launch, just use the offer code upgrade at checkout and you will get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash upgrade. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code upgrade. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. Saddle up, Jason Snow. It's rumor roundup time. Yee-ha. You mentioned in the past. Oh, whoa, hang on. The lasers have gotten out. I, I, I was. That was the word like a. That was like a laser yeehaw. I was throwing. However, I was shooting them actually, into the sky. that isn't necessarily the worst past to, worst place to put lasers in the rumor roundup because you mentioned a while ago. How long will it be? I don't know if we said this in the show or me and you were talking about it, but like, how long could it be until we have our own rumor and rumor roundup? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, an anonymous listener wrote in at upgradefeedback.com. What? To say. I, sorry, I would, have, I would have done a spit take there. I could I hear, I could hear there was a, a, a yeah. near spit take there. Yeah. They wrote in to say that they are working with Apple's financing team in Europe and that the Apple Card will be launching in the UK and Germany in 2023. You heard it here first. You heard folks. it here first. I read this and was like, oh yeah, I remember when I really wanted that. <laughs> but like, it feels like it was so long ago. Now, I have a question for you that I don't know if anybody can answer, but how, how it works in America. Is it only individuals that can sign up for the Apple Card? Can businesses sign up for Apple Card? Or is it just I individuals? Don't th- I think it's just individuals. I don't think businesses can sign up. Okay. It's interesting because basically the way I'm thinking about it is the reason I would want Apple Card is for buying Apple products because you get yes. a large cashback on it, right? It's like the largest Absolutely. cashback. Absolutely. So I figure like, you know, for the products that I buy every year, it would be silly not to do that, right? Exactly. Um, so I, I will look into this, but I am keen. I think this has taken way longer than it should have, I think, for them to start no rolling kidding. the Apple Card out internationally. So I really do hope that this is a thing. Uh, that will that will actually be coming here and then spreading further out. This has got to be part of their overall like finance plans. They've got to get this before they can get anything else. Like you can't just keep launching new things and never roll them out outside of America. And the reason it surprises me is Apple Pay did not take very long for them to get that one going. Um, and you know I've got to imagine there are so many financial institutions that are well, very willing to work with Apple on this, who have the necessary licenses in the same way that it's Goldman Sachs, right, in America that underpin the yes. Apple card. There's got to be companies yep. internationally that would be willing to do this. So I'm surprised it's taken as long as it has. Moving on, according to Ming-Chi Kuo, Apple has, yes, restarted development on an iPhone SE 4. Um, so oh it was just two months ago that Ming-Chi Kuo said that Apple had abandoned the project after continued struggles with chip design and a kind of, mm, I don't want to use the word confusion, but an, like an uncertainty maybe of what their iPhone sales across the product line. You know, we've been talking about this a lot, right? Like the Mini didn't sell well, and then the Plus didn't sell well, and they weren't sure what they were doing. So one of the reasons they canceled the project. Well, it's back on the table now, apparently, and this device would have a 6.1-inch OLED display and an Apple-designed 5G chip. The device would be expected to be similar to the iPhone 14 in its size with thicker bezels. Ross Young corroborated these reports, stating that the display would come from Chinese manufacturer BOE. 
So all of this together seems seems interesting to me because it would suggest, I think, two things. Like one, maybe that, that the corner has turned on Apple's own 5G modems, right? Because mm-hmm. if that was one of the reasons they stopped doing it, then unless they would have uh, changed their mind on it, then, and, you know, of course they changed their mind on it. Maybe now it's working again. So they put the, t- the product back on the table. This also seems like maybe a way to use a different manufacturer, right? So they're using Chinese manufacturer BOE, and you'd say, "But Mike, this isn't the diverse like the diversifying from China that we've been talking about." Yeah, no, this is to appease <laughs> manufacturers in China. I've been here. I've been reading more and more about this kind of stuff recently about products that they've been trying to make in China because of contracts that they've got in China about the Chinese economy. So this is a way to do that maybe on not their most important products. But overall, I am asking myself, if this is an iPhone 14 sized iPhone SE with an OLED display, I'm not really sure who this device is for anymore. Hmm. Well, so two things. One is the obvious sort of like it's it's a it's a device to hold down the bottom of the line so it's cheap and they're making it you know you design it to be cheap that that's what's going on here so maybe that che- display is cheap cheaper than the displays they're using not necessarily worse but maybe worse but cheap and um let's not forget too we're not comparing this to the iPhone 14 right it'll be compared to the iPhone 15 so we're probably on the precipice of some iPhone redesign. So to have this be kind of like, you know, sort of like the old phone design, but they're moving on to new designs. I think that that is potentially part of this too. Just the mm-hmm. idea that this is, you know, it, it will essentially be the one that looks kind of like the iPhone 12, 13, 14, but isn't because it's cheaper. But I think uh, like if the dynamic island is coming to the iPhone 15, right? This wouldn't have that. This isn't going to have no. that, right? It's going to have notch, presumably, or yeah, or you know, probably and, and, and think. And I would say it'll have a it'll have a worse camera. It'll have a notch. It'll have like it, again. It will be like going back in time. Even though right now we look at it and think, isn't this an iPhone 14? It's like it actually maybe is kind of like an iPhone 14, but cheaper. And then they keep that one around forever. That's my guess about what this would be. And that it firmly places the iPhone SE in the um, cheaper iPhone category and not the, you know, alternate ergonomics and cheaper category that it's sometimes been in. So the iPhone SE currently starts at $429. This device won't start at $429 with these specs. Like I just don't see it. And so that that's kind of like what I'm what I'm wondering of like, it's not smaller anymore, and it's not. It might be cheaper, but it's going to be more expensive. I would expect than a device that it probably replaces. So it's just an interesting thing to do. Like I, I, I'm not convinced that this. Just me personally, I'm not convinced that this product actually fulfills the needs that the iPhone SE currently fulfills. It's like that's this is just on paper this is puzzling to me as a like for consumers I'm not sure that it's really going to do either of the things that the iPhone SE has historically done. I think you're if you're Apple you're looking at the iPhone 
Like there are people within Apple who don't look at the iPhone as a product. They look at it as a collection of, you know, circles or, you know, shapes overlaid on the phone buying market, right? Like right. they're marketers. Mm-hmm. That That's the whole idea. And, and so something that, you know, you're like, oh, are phone buyers demanding a new iPhone SE? Almost certainly not, right? But, and, and these people, by the way, are the people who got it wrong with the mini and the plus, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're trying. You, we can see, we've been seeing over the years, Apple is trying to figure out like the most optimal way to carve up the phone buying market yep. so that they can maximize their profits. And they, they already are the best in the world at this, but they want to, you know, they want to stay nimble and they also want to always be optimizing. So I look at, I look at this and say, maybe what they're trying to do here is saying, okay, Next year, we're going to do the iPhone 15. We're going to keep the iPhone 14 around. Um, we're going to move the iPhone 13 down and we're going to kick out the iPhone 12. And somebody looks at that and the costs of manufacturing all that and said, maybe we should kick out the iPhone 12 and 13 and the old SE and replace them all with a new SE so we can simplify. There's some reason why we really want to kick the 12 and the 13 out. And the reason we haven't killed, or, or the 13 and the 14 at that point. Um, that low, like the the several years ago phone that's still for sale, right? Uh, and it's for sale for cheapness, right? So it's like, well, let's do this. Let's pull that previous model that's got some premium uh, specs in it. Maybe it's stuff that's still more expensive than we would like, and let's let's create a cheap version of it. And and you know, so that would be one scenario. Is just to say, well, next year they're going to sell the uh, 15 Pro and the 15. And maybe the 14 will still be for sale. Maybe not, but maybe. And then we're going we're gonna to dump the 13. They will have already dumped the 12, right? They'll we'll dump the 13 and the SE and we'll have a new SE. And then that'll sit there for two or three years. Like in the end, is that something that makes sense as an iPhone buyer? No, I think it makes sense if you're somebody who's at Apple and sees all the numbers up on a board, especially in other, you know, in, in regions where people tend to, buy the cheaper phones mm. and you're like, well, how do we crack India or like, how do we do this? Um, and we, we, you know, maybe they're even reaching an, a, a difficult situation where they're looking at the, the expensive components they use in some of these iPhones that they need to, in order to sell them to richer parts of the world. And they're like, you know, this is never going to be cheap enough for us. So we're, let's, let's make a new phone that is fundamentally cheaper and if it doesn't sell that well in you know in us and europe but it sells really well in india and brazil and a bunch of other places like that then like great we've solved it right they're thinking big picture they're thinking about filling in that that grid of potential phone buyers um and that's what this feels to me i mean the se in some ways has always felt like this to me but this report suggests that maybe they're willing to go um even further in terms of sort of like the SE being purpose built to fill kind of like some gaps and maybe free them from continuing to manufacture some other products that they want to pull off the product list. I agree with you. Like all that makes perfect sense, especially the idea of this like Venn diagram, right? That is being made. But yeah, I'm just not convinced with the way this is described that they can hit the price point that I think this product needs but I'm, I'm very willing feel, to be wrong. It feel like a stretch, doesn't it? Yeah, if it doesn't seem realistic. I mean, I mean, it will be, right? At some point, maybe it's when this product comes out, but like at some point it will be cost efficient to have an OLED display, 6.1 inch OLED display in a device that costs less than $500. 
that for, from Apple. Of course, it is very possible for many companies to do this, but I'm talking about iPhones specifically. Right. If you want to continue getting a 30 to 40% margin on a product, right? Like I, I'm, I'm not, which is what Apple wants. I'm not convinced that they can do that right now with this like bill of materials, but at some point it will be realistic but i i'm just not sure if next year right or whenever would be that time i think it's worth being skeptical i don't know enough about the dynamics of things like the display market but when i see like the display is going to be made from chinese manufacturer boe i don't know anything about them maybe they're great and they they're amazing but i also look at that and think maybe they make uh, an, a display of acceptable quality that is way cheaper than the displays yeah. Apple is putting in its higher-end yeah, I mean, iPhones. It, it, and then, whether they're good or not, they're so not, let's they're do not it, choosing this right? company for the iPhone Pro, are they? So that they're obviously, right. Apple doesn't consider them of the highest quality available. Or even the iPhone, right? This is just for the iPhone SE. Yeah. So that's that's what I wonder, is if they, they have you know identified a whole bunch of expensive components. And also, let's not forget the Apple Design 5G chip, if this is a way for them to... like. First off, they're going to test it. This is something that we've been talking about for a while now. Testing a product that doesn't have a lot of volume rather than in the in the crown jewels mm-hmm. uh, and see how it goes and see what the issues are. But um, across the board, there may be other component things going on in here that are like, you know, it's a cheaper component and that's just how it is in order to make this product. It, it, but, uh, but yes, the, the dance between Apple wanting to make a cheaper product, wanting to maximize their profit margin and also kind of keep their promise of not making a bad product. Uh, that's 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 why those people get paid a lot of money, right? Because that's what they're trying to do is like, we want a premium product that people are going to buy and be like, yeah, that's why I bought the Apple product. But we also want to make it not too expensive because we're going to have to add our mar- margin in. And if we make this product for this target market, but it misses the market by 100 or $200, we failed, mm-hmm. right? Even if the product's good. We failed. And if we make it cheaper, but the product's not good, we failed. You've got to get them all in that little uh, triangle. So yeah, that, that's tricky. Oh, Jason, I have some important real-time follow-up. Ming-Chi Kuo in January talking about BOE. Yeah. Writing in his Medium blog, Apple analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, this comes from Mac Rumors, says BOE has beaten Samsung for orders for the upcoming iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 Plus. Oh, interesting. And that by 2024, BOE will start mass shipments of high-end OTPO displays for the iPhone, making it the largest display supplier. BOE okay. has had unsuccessful so attempts in the past to become a more prominent player in Apple's supply chain after reportedly failing product, product validation tests. So... Well, I take I take, take back everything back. I said about yeah. BOE, mm-hmm. except for the fact that if they've got a larger re- deal with Apple, it may be that this is the, you know, these are the these are the screens that don't um, meet up match up with the needs of the high end displays. But still, it still could fulfill the same thing we're talking about: is that BOE may be able to produce yeah. a cheaper screen of acceptable quality than Samsung or LG, like exactly. at, the, at the lowest level. That is divorced from the fact of whether BOE is actually going to be producing these displays for the upcoming iPhone 15s. Right. Or another way to view it is the BOE's uh, larger deal with Apple may also suggest that uh, unlike Samsung or LG, BOE is willing to cut Apple a deal on certain displays Mm -hmm. as part of the larger deal, Mm -hmm. which allows Apple to get to this price point for this display and in this phone but we would we could file all of this under it's our same discussions about the mini and about the plus the the se is in there too which is there's like the hero iphones 
And now we've got sort of the bifurcated Hero iPhones. So you've got the 14 and the 14 Pro. And there, we, there may be a, an, an Ultra at some point or something like that. But you've also got Apple kind of like tinkering uh, around the margins uh, elsewhere in the iPhone line. This is all part of the same thing, which is like, it's fascinating. Remember when they only did one iPhone? This is Apple really trying to maximize their their profit across the whole market and and how do they do that it's this is the this is the um product development side of the same thing remember we talked a few years ago about how there was that that holiday season where all of a sudden apple was like um hey angela Aarons, it's great that you're creating a community in apple stores but we need to move products right <laughs> like we actually need to sell the iphone now well this is the other part of that which is instead of just sort of putting out a couple of iphones and and saying like it's cool they sell a lot it's great they're like aggressively exploring different corners of the market and trying to figure out the magic formula that will give them you know as many customers and as much profit as possible. Um, and and the SE is just one tool for them to do that. Uh, over the last couple of episodes, um, I've been talking with my illustrious guests about details from CAD models that 9to5Mac have been publishing. This week, we're going to look at changes to the mute button on the iPhone 15 Pro. Oh, yes. So 9to5Mac uh, have heard from a source that the next iPhone will move away from the physical mute switch similarly to how they are moving to haptic buttons for the volume and the wake uh, button. Mm -hmm. They have called it a, quote, pressing type button, which is an incredibly weird way of saying things. I feel like I know why they published right. this. Somebody told them, or it was translated to, this is a pressing type button, and so they've just published what they were told. Well, my guess, my guess is it's a toggle button. Um, right where where it's a it's a mm -hmm. you know you push let's it. say round button and you push it like a caps lock key or something mm -hmm. like you, you you push it in and it and it stays in and then you push it and it pops back out oh no i don't think this is it i i think this you is you don't think you no. think it's just a, a straight up talk well yeah. if they do that they could do it with fake they could fake it with haptics but yes. then they just they have to have it be like a heavy haptic when you press it the first yep. time and a light haptic when you don't or whatever that's exactly what i think they're gonna do or hope they're gonna do but they'll be modeling a, a toggle switch, right? Mm -hmm. Modeling the idea that you press it, right? A switch that you would press in and it would stay in and you press it out and it pops back out. And maybe that's not a moving part. The, the other thing is that the, only the button is the moving part in that scenario, I think. So they could do it, but whether it's a virtual, you know, like a fake version of it or the real version of it, um, it's just very different because with the current ring silent that has been there since the very beginning, the whole idea there is that it's a lot harder to accidentally you know that switch and it's a lot easier if it's in your pocket for you to press down on something when you're trying to mash yep. the volume button and instead you mash the mute button which is you can great. also physically feel that it's muted right like it's it's not complicated like you you kind of can just i can yeah. put my hand in my pocket and know that my phone is muted without needing to change anything my hope here is is they do what you said that it will be a they will have like different haptic feedback for mute and unmute so maybe like you press it once to unmute it or like you press it and it like hits you once or like vibrates once and i don't know how they're going to do it but i just i, I feel like they have to come up with something that it can be done without needing to look at the phone like that's what i want because everybody's been used to and people will be mad including me right uh, but i i don't think this will be a a a moving thing at all you think they're going to all virtual all touch-based controls, pressure-sensitive controls. Every, uh, all of the other things have been talking about how everything is going to be solid-state buttons, and I'm if they're going to change the mute switch, 
like then and every other button's going to a solid state button, then I feel like this is going to be the same. Yeah. Like I know that right now, as they're pointing out to the chat, right? Like if you flick the switch, it gives you a vibration. I know that, right? But that doesn't tell me if I'm muting or unmuting. The physical movement of the switch does that. So like if it just buzzes at me the same time for muting and unmuting, then I'm getting nothing, right? Like I, I need something to tell me why I press it Maybe once. Maybe you should make a loud mute. noise. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that would do it, wouldn't it? You, you are muted. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> That's the. I was watching a TV show the other day, and it was uh, it's a Star Trek show, and uh-huh. uh, there's a somebody's firing like a big laser gun, and in a firefight with these monsters that are trying to kill her, and and it runs out of uh, lasers or whatever, and the and the gun says, "Ding, out of ammunition," and I thought, you know what? You don't want your enemy to be told no. you're out of ammunition. That what who who programmed that in there? What are they What are they doing? I I wanted to mention something about the physical uh, button thing because I know that people are like some people like it some people don't like it they, they can't just be um, based on touch they they have to be based on pressure because you put them in other things mm-hmm. and like or in your pocket or whatever so they, they they have to be pressure sensitive they can't be touch sensitive they also can't be touch sensitive because you can touch a button touching a button isn't pushing a button right yep. uh, we learned that with that iPod that was terrible that had the four buttons uh, across the front that were touch sensitive. And if you tried to use it by feel, you would just touch the buttons Terrible. and they do things that yep. you didn't. It's awful. Right. But I, I wanted to say just as a little anecdote point here, I've been using the iPhone 14 pro. I took it with me on my trip because it's got the great camera. And, but the primary reason is because of the dynamic Island, because all my beloved mini, uh, doesn't have that. So I want to use the dynamic Island. So I've been using this, you know, Apple loaned iPhone and, uh, a funny thing has happened, which is I have had multiple stuck buttons. My button's stuck. Yeah, where one of the volume buttons has got something under it, and you can sort of squeeze it. My and sleep it kind wake of works. button's gone weird in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's got all smushy in a not good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's not. I mean, I think there's just some grit or something in there. But mm-hmm. it, it. So now I've got one that goes up and down, the volume down. I think, and the volume up is like this super smooshy, not very good. And um, I had that moment where I thought, oh, well, this is why they're, <laughs> this is why they're building these new buttons is because this kind of stuff is happening and it's not, not any good. This is planned obsolescence, Jason. I, I've never had this problem before, but now they're getting rid of it from the iPhone 15 Pro. So on the iPhone 14 Pro, they included a piece of grit under every button, you know, so we're going to be looking forward to when they take them away. That's how they get you. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> do we applaud them? Do we applaud them for like, you, you know, you, you, yes, I know you shot the president yesterday, but today you didn't shoot the president. So good job, right? Like, well done. It's like, I mean, you, you, iPhone buttons should not, should not do this. There's actually a button on my iPad is a little like that too. It's a little, huh. little squishy. And I, I don't know. It's not like I'm rolling around in sand with my iPad or my iPhone. It's not like I'm like, wee, here I am in a, in, in a big, like fine powder or whatever or, or dirt. Uh-huh. And yet something got in there and and it's not great. So yeah, I, I wouldn't mind. So like for the buttons, I wouldn't mind, especially if, if like you're right, like if they require a f- like a finger as well as the pressure, that will also be good because it will be less likely that the volume will get changed when my phone's in my pocket, which does happen sometimes. I'm listening to a podcast and the volume goes up. So that might be nice for that. Um, but the, the mute, I, I considering how long they kept the physical switch, I feel confident they will do something 
that if they change the switch to a solid state button kind of thing, they will do some kind of affordance for letting you know if it's muted or unmuted without shouting the phone <laughs> is unmuted. Although if they did have that as an option, I feel like I would <laughs> I would have to mm. enable that just for fun. Jason, why are we just talking about the iPhone 15 when we could also be talking about the iPhone 16? That's great. Let's do all the iPhones. The let's, new, start making, new, let's start breaking <laughs> news about, if you know anything about the iPhone 17, upgradefeedback.com. Please let us know. New reports from the ELEC are suggesting that the 2024 iPhone will have an under-display face ID sensor with oh. an under-display selfie camera to come in 2026, which would be what, the iPhone 18? So here was my question yeah, to you. Yeah, there we go. iPhone 18 rumor. Here it is. We skipped. We haven't got the 17, though. We're still hoping for no, 17 we're looking rumors. for that. Uh, upgrade full iPhone bingo, yeah. So my question to you was in reading this. I mean, this does seem natural, right? Like, get rid of all of the cutouts, right? Like, that's the obvious thing to do in the future. All screen. 100%. Yeah. But if they do that, does the dynamic island go away? Or does it, like, change? What do you think? That, let's imagine the situation where they yeah. get rid of the face ID thing, right? So it's just in, in like, next year. Yeah, the end of next year. And so we just have the selfie camera cut out. What do you think the Dynamic Island looks like then? One of two things. I think the most likely scenario is the Dynamic Island will continue because it's a very interesting way to show all the things we talked about. Show status of things that are happening on your device that are not the thing that is in the foreground right now. And that that the, the Mac has had that forever, right? But like, how do you do that on, especially an iPhone? I would argue maybe the iPad could use that too, but like, especially on an iPhone, having a floating status window, it's like the equivalent of menu bar items, I guess, or the dock or like a bunch of different things that the Mac does for that. I th- I like it. I think it's a good idea. Um, every time I take a trip, like I just did, like having flighty information in the dynamic island while I'm sitting there before my flight and it's ticking down when, you know, and it tells me where to go and all those things. It's like, it's great. I love it. Um, so if Apple feels that the dynamic island is successful and is an asset to the iPhone and to iOS, then they'll just keep having it. And it'll it'll just be something that disappears entirely when you're not using it. And if you swipe it away, it goes away. It just won't be, um, you know, hiding, masking a little circle. It'll just, I think, go away and then reappear, and then and that and that'll yeah. be what it is. Yeah. Um, the alternative is the touch bar scenario, uh, a dark timeline. The touch mm-hmm. bar scenario. Which is that we get to this point and Apple's like, you know, we don't really like the dynamic island and it'll just die. But I think if they like it, they'll keep it. Surely that would have meant they would have already had to have made that decision. No, I guess if it's just software, they wouldn't yeah. have to, would they? No, no, I think it would be if if the dynamic island is a loser, they'll keep it on the ones with the punch outs. Yeah. Yep. And it'll never be anywhere else. And that'll yep. be the and then we'll never speak of the dynamic island ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh but you know, I, my my inclination right now is I, I feel fairly positive about the Dynamic Island. It's not super revolutionary, but it is a really nice addition to iOS that I kind of I would keep it around. Um, again, I don't want a little black pill on my screen when nothing's going on. I mean, that's what it does now, and it's just like we we all know why it's doing that. But um, it could just disappear entirely. I mean, it's got all those animations, right? There's nothing stopping it from kind of bloop coming down from the top of the screen and. And enabling and like I think it's really nice and clever and subtle and fun and uh, so I hope it sticks around. But I think those are the two scenarios. Is you know they'll they'll keep it around because it's good. Um, it was invented because of the whole punch thing, but that doesn't it's mean great. that if they think it's good, they'll just keep it. And I think it's good. 
in the scenario where it would not be a big cutout anymore, but it would just appear and go away, I would like to coin the term dynamic submarine because it would just like disappear and then come back out again, you know? Like okay. it submerges and reemerges. Dynamic submarine, you heard it here first. But that could be, well, okay, two, two pieces of feedback for this idea. <laughs> We're just brainstorming here. One is no um, the dynamic island, what makes it dynamic could be indeed that it appears and, and disappears. So okay. that would be, it would be a, still be a dynamic island. And second, most submarines are dynamic. Yeah. And this would just be another one. I, d- I just, you know, island, I don't know, like an <laughs> island going underwater and coming back up again. Sure. That's not so like great. Like the tides. Or have you ever seen Lost? It's like that. Okay, so like the what we're saying then is that it's in a this magical scenario, island. Yeah. The 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 well, the screen is dynamic because it's covering the island in water, and the water is the pixels or the photos of your family. Yeah, and there's a submarine down there. Makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's good to be back. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Fitbod. Getting fitter is one of those things that often has knock-on effects in other areas of your life that you might not have expected like having more energy, sleeping better, that kind of stuff. And maybe this is something you want to do in your life, but it's hard to know where to start. And that's why I'm pleased to let you know that Fitbod is an easy and affordable way to build a fitness plan that is just for you. Because personal fitness and fitness journeys, they're different for everybody. There isn't one specific way to train. There isn't one specific way to look or act or feel. So Fitbod will learn about you, your goals, and your training ability to create a custom dynamic program based on your experience and any equipment you have access to. This is all then kept in an app, which makes it incredibly easy to learn how to perform every exercise with their over 1,400 HD video tutorials. They're all shot from multiple angles to make sure that learning every exercise is a breeze. Everybody has a different path towards fitness, and that is why Fitbod uses their data to make sure that they custom things exactly to suit you. They have powerful technology to understand your strength training ability. It will study your past workouts and adapt to what you have available from equipment, right? So whether it's you're working out at home or you're working out at home with some basic stuff or you're working out in a gym, whatever it is, your training plan will maximize fitness gains by intelligently varying intensity and volume between sessions. Overworking muscles and underworking others can negatively impact your results, which is why Fitbod tracks muscle fatigue and recovery to design a well-balanced workout routine. I've used Fitbod for years now. It really is excellent. Like it, What I like about it is those videos. They make it so easy to learn. It's one of the things that was always so difficult for me when I was trying different things out is I was hesitant to try out new exercises because like, oh, how is this going to be? How am I going to be able to do it right? And I feel very comfortable and very confident with the videos that they have because they have them from all these angles so you can make sure that you're doing things correctly. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but Fitbod is just $12.99 a month or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% of your membership by signing up at fitbod.me upgrade. So go now and get your customized fitness plan at fitbod.me slash upgrade and you will get 25% off your membership. That is fitbod.me slash upgrade. Our thanks to Fitbod for the support of this show and Relay FM. Mark Gurman is reporting that the next iMac is in a, quote, advanced stage of development called engineering validation testing. BVT, yeah. As everybody knows it. Uh, yep, Mark is saying known. that this will have the same 24-inch screen. It will come in the same colors, 
It will likely ship in the second half of this year at the earliest and will most likely feature an M3 chip. Three. We got yeah. a question from Justin who wrote in to say, what do you want from the next 24-inch iMac in addition to an updated M chip? Um, well, first off, it's great that Mark Gurman's got some detail about the iMac because it's been out there as a mystery for a while now. And what he's been saying all along is that they're basically holding it for M3 and we're not going to get an M2 iMac. Um, what's interesting is this report is also Mark's report basically saying the M3 is coming, mm-hmm. um, which is funny, right? Because didn't didn't the M2 just arrive with the with the last WWDC with the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro? But here it is again. But I think, um, and he said in his report, he said something about how Apple wants to get the M series on an annual cycle. I'm not sure I entirely believe that. Um, maybe he's got some information that that's their ultimate goal, that they want to march it in lockstep with the iPhone. But it certainly feels, and we've been talking for a while now, that the M2 was sort of a half step of like, refresh the chip, but it doesn't have all the stuff. And that the M3 will be maybe a more substantial leap that it may be based on uh, on a later generation of the A cores instead of like the existing generation. Mm-hmm. Maybe not if it's in June, we'll see, but like they could. There's nothing stopping them from unveiling those cores before the iPhone. I know people are like, but it's always been the iPhone. It's like, well, well yeah, except for that one year where it was the iPad. Um, but uh, it's true, but they could, they, you know, the, the Mac matters too. They could unveil those cores in an M3. And people are not going to scream when the iPhone comes out because the iPhone doesn't use the M3. It uses an A chip and it's fine. Like we we can split this, we can split these hairs way too fine and we don't necessarily need to. But the idea of M3 being here, uh, really interesting. There's another report from Mark that we'll get to in a minute that, that I think makes a lot of sense too. I feel like the iMac, they just made it. And so I would not be surprised if this iMac, when when, when I was reading like same colors, same 24 inch. I'm like, yeah, I think it's just going to be the iMac with an M3 in it. And maybe they'll do some other tweaks because they've had a couple of years and and they've had time. This is obviously one of the first uh, Apple Silicon Macs. So to revisit it a little bit later and, and tweak it a little bit. So the the things on the list, right, are, is there a variant of it that uses the uh, the Pro chip, maybe, like the Mac Mini, to give it a little more speed if you want to pay more, or are they not capable of cooling that? There's a question of, like, could they do something with a display that's nicer? Um, although the idea, again, it's an iMac. You put ProMotion on an iMac, a 24-inch iMac. I'm not sure you do. And then the the Mark's report says that they've changed the way that the stand attaches, and I'm not quite sure whether that's just an internal manufacturing thing or if the stand is going to be different. You have an iMac though. I'm I'm actually more curious yep. about as a as somebody with an M1 iMac where yep. you think that they could improve this. I mean, the obvious answer is a bigger one, but I feel like that's kind of cheating, but like I would like a bigger one. Um I think that like the Mac Mini, I would like to see more chip options, like an M- an M3 Pro in the iMac, I don't think would be a wild thing to ask for. Um, I feel like for me, really, as yeah. a machine, it was the only place where I felt like it was lacking, ultimately, was, like, you know, from a usability perspective, was it, the M1 is obviously great, but when I was comparing it to my um, M1 Pro 
I think I have a Mac's MacBook Pro. It's very different in a way that I don't feel that difference so heavily when I go from M2 to M1 Pro. So just if they had right. an M3 and an M3 Pro configuration, I just think that would be really good for that machine. I think it would then more easily fit into different work spots, like places for work, yeah. if they're not going to make a quote-unquote Pro version of the machine, right? Right, exactly. Um, again, another more realistic uh, request would be a better webcam, right? Well, I'll just ask of all of them, but especially oh, yeah. the iMac. You've got space. You have space, right? Like, you know, if if the biggest issue with the laptops is there's not a lot of space in the lid, you've got, like, depth that you could put a better camera into this display if you wanted to. Hard not to believe that they won't, ex- at, at the very least, um, do what they do what they did with the studio display, right? Yeah. And, and offer center stage. Now, it would be interesting if they did that, but the experience was better or the camera was better because that would suggest that they've, you know, iterated there and said back to the drawing board for that camera. Um, but it, it, if I had to put money down, my guess would be it'll have a center stage camera. Yeah. And I do want a better stand or at least stand options like the studio displays options. Right, because it, it just it just has the just one, the foot. right? Yeah. That's it. I, or you can, I think you can get a Vesa mount, but like, yeah. but you can't do an adjustable stand no. or anything like that. That would be awfully nice if they if they had the same stand options as the studio display, and you could have an adjustable stand. And I know it'd be complicated because then they would need to make like another six colors of it or whatever. Colors, but yeah. That the the you know we spoke about it at the time, and I spoke about it many times since. Like the 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 height that those machines get off the desk is just not high enough. To, to really be comfortable and I would yeah, it's like a little to see low. That. yeah yeah it's just it's it's a little low adjustable stand would be that's one of those areas where I, apple will say oh well we did our ergonomic blah 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 but i think the truth is they did their ergonomic blah 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 and maybe they found like a height that was the best common height i'm skeptical because it's still pretty low but maybe but the problem is that you're just taking the top of the bell curve there like i mm-hmm. think that I think that you you your monitor should be adjustable, and the iMac is a monitor. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The idea, I think, I said in my review at the time that it's a beautiful computer, and then you have to put it on a book or something, right? Like you, an encyclopedia, in order to get it to the right height. And it's stupid. Like you should be able to adjust it. So whether they could, you know, make you make an adjustable version, or they could build it with the adjustable stand built in. Um, that would be awfully nice. David in our Discord pointed out something that I think was on our list back in the day when we talked about the M1 when it first came out, which was the possibility that they could make that power plug uh, block that's got the Ethernet port in it uh, a more useful like USB dock uh-huh. where you could, because the whole idea there is, oh, you don't want a, a networking cord on your desk, so you can put it on the floor and plug it into the power block. And it's like, yes, okay, I would like some other things to plug but into like, that. But like, what about literally every things. other cord? Right? Like, yeah, why, why right? just this one? What's so bad about Ethernet? So, and they can, and it's an upsell because that Ethernet cord is only on higher end models or you have to buy it extra on the lower end model. But, uh, so do that. Like, make it, we also have this amazing new iMac dock, especially if the computer's not changing, right? What do you highlight as Apple as you're marketing the new version of the, like, M3 chip, sure, okay, great. Same great colors, well, okay, that's the same. Um, but you could say, like, we got this awesome new, look at this awesome thing we built. We built this whole new uh, power block thing that is uh, a USB, you know, hub, a USB-C hub, a Thunderbolt hub, whatever they want to say. And how many people do we talk to 
uh, in our audience who are like one of the constant p- things people talk about is like Thunderbolt hubs and this doesn't work right with this or USB-C hubs and this doesn't work right in this connection and all that. And like, I'm not saying that Apple would, Apple would just add complexity to that, obviously, but it would be the Apple official, like Apple has done it and integrated it. And here it is. It's built into your iMac. Um, and, and yeah, it takes that cord, uh, clutter argument further. Like mm-hmm. you could even plug in some devices over here and, and not worry about them. I would love to see that. So that's a good suggestion from David in the Discord. And also, this is unrealistic, I think, to ask for this machine. But again, eventually it will come to everything but a ProMotion display or just a higher quality display. I agree. I think I think it's inevitable everywhere. But this iMac is, is you know, essentially the only iMac, but I was going to say it's the old low-end iMac slot yeah. a little bit. And value is important, right? They want to they keep the price down. Yep. And I don't think, I think that ProMotion is a great feature to have in products with the word Pro in them. And that means not the iMac. Feels unlikely to get ProMotion in an iMac before a studio display, right? Yes. Like, like so. 100%. But I would still like it. Uh Mark Gurman also confirmed that there are three new Macs expected between spring and summer. So it is the 15-inch MacBook Air that we've been hearing about, um, right. or at least a 15-inch laptop to fill a space. We, right, we because we don't know. Marketing-wise, marketing uh-huh. they could choose to call it MacBook anything. or MacBook Air. Or MacBook we'll Studio see. or anything. Sure. Uh, an update to the 13-inch MacBook Air and also the Apple Silicon Mac Pro. So an update to the 13-inch MacBook Air is fascinating, right? Because that just came out last June. So if it's a physical update, like it's a new model, I, I don't, I mean, it would have to be an M3. His, his story is like, oh, it's unclear if it's an M2 or an M3. And it's like, well, one of two things is true. Like, because they're not going to like say, here's a new MacBook Air. It's just like the old one, right? Like, well, no, that's not new. It's the old one. You just set it. So either... It's got a new chip in it, or they're doing something else with it. Like my guess would be at that point, it's like new colors or something, right? But mm-hmm. I, I, if this is truly a new, and I'm not sure his report would would rise to the level if all they were doing was changing the colors. So it feels to me like what this is is they're going to do maybe a WWDC again or a little bit thereafter. They're going to just say, "Here's the new MacBook Air with M3." And it's the M2 MacBook Air, except with M3. And that's the difference to it. Um, And maybe they'll add colors anyway, because please, 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 Apple, color laptop. This this makes me think that they are going to call that 15-inch laptop a MacBook Air, because I could Hmm. imagine them saying, here is this new 15-inch MacBook Air. It has this and this and this, and it features an M3. And today we're also putting the M3 in the in the 13-inch yeah. MacBook Air, moving on. The only thing that gives me pause there is that that 15-inch MacBook Air is rumored to be soon. And I'm not sure, is the M3 going to be ready or is it going to be the last sort of consumer M2 and then they'll do the M3 in, in three to no six idea. months? No right? idea. That's, that's, so I think there's definitely a scenario here where if that MacBook Air is being made now, it's an M2 and it'll come out as an M2. And then in June or July or August, they'll announce the MacBook Air it with the M3, and that'll be the launch of the M3, which is that core MacBook Air. I think that's the most likely scenario. That just doesn't make sense to me. To update the M2 one year later with an M3, I don't get, I'm not sure I can get that. I, I think know. it may just be production, 
that that yeah. like they're gonna bump this out there and um right because yes you ideally you would release them in lockstep right new 13 and 15 but they may not have the ability to do that right now and so they'll mm. put out the 15 and then they'll put out the m3 air and then six months later you know they'll put out the m3 version of the 15 and then they'll sync up the next year or something maybe Maybe. I mean, that's this is the question, though, right? Like, also, we don't know when they were intended, right? Like, that, that MacBook Air may be intended for late summer, and that Mac, the 15 inch, whatever it is, might have been intended even for earlier, right? And it sort of sl- slid. And it's, and we think they're so close together. Why don't they both release at the same time? Uh, and they think, no, 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 you're not seeing, um, to, not to have a, another tangent, but, um, you know how the Marvel uh, fans will talk about like MCU phase four and oh, now it's phase five and all that. But like, it's kind of invisible and 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 people who aren't hard- hardcore fans don't pay attention to that stuff, right? Well, this is a little like that where it's like inside Apple, we may be watching the end of the M2 collection of products and the beginning of the M3 collection of products. And these two, you know, the, the, this one product is sort of slid to the end and then here's this next one and Mark talks about them together. But from the inside, it may be like, no, 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 no. This is an M2 and that's an M3 because it's part of the different cycle. But they've slid close enough together that we're like, why can't they all be M3s? Uh, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. that's part of standing on the outside, looking inside the black box. Yeah. Uh, it Certainly, everybody who's really hyped about the 15-inch MacBook Air w- might be a little sad if it's an M2, knowing that there's an M3 chip coming in a few months. At the same time, the M2 is so capable, especially for something that's the class of the MacBook Air, yep. that I would really not worry about it. I mean, like preview of my review of a product that has not been announced. If there's a 15-inch MacBook Air with M2, the fact that it doesn't have an M3 in it is not going to be a big deal. It's going to be, it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's just fine. Because the M2 MacBook Air right now is awesome. Um, and M2 is more than enough for almost everybody. Let me read a um, couple, of, couple of lines here from Mark's report. The M2 chip was always designed as a stopgap ahead of the M3, which will mark the first time Apple is moving from a 5 nanometer chip to a 3 nanometer design. The shift will bring a major boost to performance and power efficiency. Having the new MacBook Air sport the M3 would also make sense from a timing perspective. Apple has been clear it wants to put Mac-grade processors on an annual upgrade cycle. Last year, Apple introduced the M2 chip at at WWDC. If Apple were to stick to the last year's schedule, an M3 alongside a new MacBook Air would make sense. The company could then uh, follow up with the M3 later in the year and the M3 Pro and M3 Max-based Pros in 2024. So one quibble with that, which he says Apple has always been clear that they want the M series on an annual cycle. No. No. Maybe they said it somewhere. Maybe he's got sources, but has it been clear? No. I'm assuming. No, in he fact, means it's been it's very unclear to him. I suppose, like, because no, I, I agree. Don't with you. They've know. never said that. I don't know. He phrases that in a way that I don't agree with at all. I don't think they've been clear about that. Maybe, and it's so. So now it's unclear, ironically, that uh, it might be. We don't know if it's Mark's source or if it's something else. But when he says it's a three nanometer process, though, this is what we've been talking about for a while now, which is um, feels like the. M3, so the M1 is based on the A14. The M2 is based on the A15. The iPhone Pro is currently using the A16. Now, normally you would think the M3 would be used, would, would use the A16 cores. A16 is not a three nanometer process, right? It's their enhanced five nanometer process. Is that right? I believe so. I don't think they're on any three nanometers at all at the moment. Right. They have, it's that enhanced 
whatever it, what it is um mm-hmm. uh enhanced five nanometer n4p process yeah uh yeah so they call it four mark says three here so if we take mark at his word i think it fits that idea that the a16 itself is sort of like also a stopgap and that and and the next m series chip is not going to be based on that 816 that we saw last fall on the iphone pro it's going to be based on uh a new it it might be the same cores on the new process who knows but like it's going to be different it's not going to be oh this is the the a16 again except max sized it's going to either be a new bunch of cores that are like the a17 or it's going to be the a16 but at a new process size with a bunch of max stuff in it it's going to be different and that's exciting right because it's not it breaks the mold of every time that the Mac updates its hardware, uh, it, it just inherits the the stuff from the last iPhone chip. It makes it a little bit different. And if they truly are trying to get to a, a one-year cycle with the M series, which makes sense, right? Because they're on the one-year cycle with the iPhone. Being 18 months with the Mac means that you probably do have to skip a, a phone uh, chip generation every so often. So if they, if they truly want to get there, um, they, they need to push it ahead. But I do believe very much uh, very strongly that um, there's nothing stopping from Apple to showing off next generation cores, uh, CPU or GPU or other stuff in the Mac because M1 and M2 and he calling it a stopgap. I mean, yeah, that's that's exactly right. M1 and M2, it's like for Apple to raise this whole Apple Silicon thing up and get it running, they have done this sort of like, well, we're spinning off of our iPhone work. But it's entirely possible that Apple is going to get to a point, and maybe it's the M3, where Apple's like, you know, it's not that simple. Maybe we'll have our our, our boys back on, our chip our chip pals, uh, Tom and Tim. Uh, maybe they can tell us ah, this. Mm-hmm. But um, the, uh, the idea is, it's not that simple. I could hear Tim saying this, actually, Tim Malay. Um, it, it, it's not that simple. Uh, we might introduce new cores here. And then they come to, to come to the iPhone later. Like there's nothing stopping Apple from saying our, our new core generation starts on the Mac and then we'll use those cores in the iPhone or our new G- CPU cores or maybe our new GPU cores start on the Mac and then they come to the iPhone later. Like they can do that. It, it, it's not, you know, the, the system does not permanently have to be structured as we take an iPhone chip and we photocopy it and then we expand it and now we've got a Mac chip. It could very easily be a much more complicated structure. Like that was good, I think, as a way to do it to start Apple Silicon. But like now that they're rolling with it and the Mac has all these kind of particular needs and there's particular timing involved, like like I said earlier, the A series, like there will be a new A17 chip, right? There'll be an A17 chip. And nobody is going to, if the M3 has next generation cores that the A16 doesn't have, when the A17 comes out, people aren't going to be like, oh, it's such an old, oh, it was already in the MacBook Air. Because it's not. It's not the M3. It's the A17. Um, even if all of the nerds are like, it's the M3, right? Like, it doesn't matter. So uh, it, this will be something to watch. And, and I know I've, I'm gleaning a lot from him saying, hey, there's going to be a new MacBook Air. But it from us trying to figure out how Apple Silicon works over and will work over the years i think the idea that there might be a year after the m2 there might be an m3 air uh i think that's really exciting beyond that and possibly colors i don't think it will change at all because they just did the design and it's great so it'll just stay maybe there'll be some color variations and a new chip and that's it and finally mark dropped into this report that he has heard that an ipad pro with an m3 chip an oled display 
is due in the first half of 2024, and that the okay. first MacBooks with OLED screens and touch input are currently on track for 2025. Okay. I want that. Give me that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What are they? What do they look like? Mm-hmm. How do they work? I guess we'll have to wait for another rumor roundup to find out. We sure will. <laughs> we sure will. Hey, if you enjoy this show and you would like to get longer episodes every single week with so it's additional content and with no ads, why don't you check out Upgrade Plus? Go to getupgradeplus.com and you can sign up for just $5 a month or $50 a year. You'll also get a ton of wonderful benefits, including lots of bonus content that are monthly shows for Relay FM members, including Backstage, where Stephen and I answer questions from the Relay FM audience about what's going on at Relay FM. Uh, the Spotlight, which is a current show that Kathy Campbell's hosting, where she interviews uh, a host at Relay FM with, again, questions submitted by the audience, which are all taken in our Relay FM members' Discord, which you also get access to if you subscribe or sign up, I should say, for Upgrade Plus. It's a wonderful community of people, tons of great uh, topics and channels for you to check out at your leisure. And it's also the best way to uh, enjoy the show live. We record this show live every week, and there's a, whenever we're talking about the Discord or the live chat, it's all in Discord. So go to getupgradeplus.com, and you will get all of these benefits and many more for just the low price of $5 a month. Thank you so much if you check it out. Let's do some Ask Upgrade questions to finish out today's episode. Meh. Oh no! The lasers got replaced Meh. by sheep. This is oh, quite concerning. It's New Zealand, man, I'm telling you. So what you're saying is in New Zealand, lasers are sheep. No, I, I think the sheep have just covered the lasers and their wool mm. absorbs the laser energy. Well, hopefully by next... Wait, oh no, that's really... That's upsetting. So if the lasers... If the sheep are covering lasers and we heard lasers in the room around up, did the sheep get blown up, Jason? Is that what you're saying? No, the the rumor roundups in the old west, like. But they have lasers the in the old that... west. Is this like a Back to the Future kind of thing? Like Back to the Future Three when they come? <sighs> Look, those were those weren't actually lasers. They were just a six a six gun going pew pew. pew oh, pew. interesting. A laser. They weren't lasers gun. at all. It was like bang bang. What yeah, hearing. whatever. I don't know. I just made the sheep noise. That's that's the <laughs> this is your New Zealand flavor. I I did it. Not as many sheep. Well, I I won't get into it. There's we'll talk about that in Upgrade Plus. Thought. All right, all right. John wants to know. When you use two-factor authentication, do you use an Authenticator app or SMS? One password is what I'm using. So Authenticator app. I'm always sad when they want to send me a text message Mm -hmm. because I don't want a text message. I want to use my Authenticator app. Yeah, when I started setting up two-factor stuff, I used text messages and I'm like transitioning that away just because... Not for the, and then please, what I'm saying is not for the security reasons, right? It's just like, I understand the idea that somebody could intercept my text messages, but I feel like if somebody's trying to intercept my text messages, again, I've got some problems, right? Like there are some problems in my life if someone's trying to target me like that. Uh, I, for me, it's about convenience. And especially these days with the, um, the extension support, on iOS as well as on macOS, the ability to just have the little one password thing just pre- just fill all this stuff automatically for me is amazing. Like I love it. Uh, so I, I use one password for that too. It's it's easy enough to set up. Uh, the key, if you think to yourself, because this took me a while to get my head around. If you're like, wait, how are they using one password for authentication? 
or like the two-factor. In in one password, they're called one-time passwords or OTP. Yeah, that's the part that you're setting up. It's in every um like entry. You can like add a one-time password, and you have to put in like a code or scan a QR code, and then it will generate the two-factor code. So if you've ever been confused, that's what you want. But yeah, I agree with you. Way easier to just do it in an app uh, than to deal with text messages. These days with with uh, the new Safari extensions for the password managers too, hmm. and also Apple's Apple's own password manager will do one-time passwords too, so you don't even need yeah. to use a third party. But they, it all auto, like I, I say, here's my password, you know, pop up from the password manager in its extension in the browser. And it, in, in some cases, it auto fills you know, the first screen presses the button, goes to the next screen, mm-hmm. puts in the one-time code, and presses the button, and I'm I'm in, and mm-hmm. I, I haven't had to do anything. That's mm-hmm. great. Sometimes you have to like just tap in the text field, and then it's like pasting it in or something. Yeah, uh, it's super clever, and it's it's super easy. You know, it is great when, and I love when Apple added that like text message like thing where like it could work out the codes from the text and just drop them in for oh, you. Yeah. That's like a great feature. Um, but I, the, to be honest, like just getting the text messages annoy me because it just fills up my text, my iMessage. Right. It's just like a bunch of crap that I don't want. You go back to messages and you're like, your 2FA code yeah. is, and you're like, shut up. I don't. I know. wished that it would delete those messages <laughs> for me. Yeah. As well. I mean, that's, that's a, there's a, there's a feature. Mm. Actually, that would be amazing. This is a feature for Ricky Mondello if they're listening, uh, who is one of the people who implements this stuff at Apple. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet to Ricky or I'll, uh, Mastodon post to ricky after the show but um that would be amazing if apple could actually classify those things that were text messages that it knows are text messages that you're acting on for two-factor uh maybe if you if you use the if you use the auto include insert it like puts it optionally like puts it away somewhere like puts it in a a two-factor folder or something because it already does the thing where it marks it as red it makes a change to the message so yeah if you could just like get rid of it somehow that'd be great that that would be nice. I love it. I love that idea. Um, I I will say everybody's going to get more SMS messages in the future because even though we have this authentication technology, you know what SMS messages do? They tie your login to a device. And while we're all like, oh, I don't need to tie my login to a device, you're thinking, well, who cares about that? And the answer is Netflix. And everybody else who is worried Mm. about password sharing. Mm. By tying authentication to an SMS, they tie it to you personally. And so then if your friend is trying to log in and every so often they're like, hey, haven't seen you in a while uh, or haven't tested you in a while, Netflix user. Um, Give me, we just sent you a code. Why don't you give me that code? And then your friend who's sharing your password, your your roommate from two years ago who's sharing your password has to call you or text you and say like, what's the code? You just got sent a code. And it also means that people are less likely to share codes because they're going to start getting authenticator messages uh, for other people logging into their shared account. And then they're going to have to do something about it. And, and it's not that, like email you could forward and two factor codes you can you can uh, share, but text messages you can't. And so I predict that we're actually going to get way more text messages in the future um, because as as these services start cracking down on password sharing, because it is a method of preventing password sharing, as annoying as that is. Do you think that pass keys 
could be used for this? Um, I I don't I don't know. I'm wondering, do they tie you to the device? Like no, more I think you can share pass. I think you can share pass keys. Okay. I think you can share pass keys, and this is this anything that you can share easily that's digital is not what Netflix not what they wants, want. right? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they want because I have some. What was it? I had some some service that did that, um, some streaming service, and and my daughter will occasionally be like, "Can I have the two factor code?" Like, yeah, uh, here it is. But um, but it, you know, it's going to happen more because it is it, it is a real passive aggressive way of getting both sides of the password sharing to realize this is a pain. Um, I have a, I have a service that does it via email and there are a few that do it that way. And that here's a little tip. That is great because you can set up email rules to just forward it to all the people you share the password with. But, um, but text messages, you can't really do that. And that's how they get you. That's how they get you. Sam asks, would you rather pay Less for an Apple device if it meant you had to pay for Apple apps such as Maps, Notes, Calendar, the Home app, for example. Um, this is a weird question. It is um, interesting to me, though. I, I mean, I am in the Apple Plus bundle, right? Apple yeah. One bl- bundle. So I'm already there. Uh, I would be paying for it anyway, and I am already paying full price for an Apple device. So I think it's an interesting idea. I, I think Apple will never offer anything like this because unless they're mandated like by a government because apple feels like the you know their their software is part of the product and it's part of the equation is you get all that stuff with your device um and i worry about any apple that would sell a a decontented device and then say you got to sign up for iCloud in order to get the contents on it yeah. otherwise too bad i i don't i don't like that as an approach. And I don't, honestly, I don't think it would allow them to charge significantly less either. No, I don't think even if this was a thing they had to do and if they charge less, it wouldn't be much less. <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't be much less. I was, this question was just intriguing to me because it's like, we're just entering a very interesting regulatory period. I think for tech companies now, maybe more than it's ever been before. Uh, and I, when looking at this question, I was just wondering like what it would be like for Apple to have to split this stuff from the system more. Not necessarily in charging, but the ability to have third parties tie into all of this and how complicated that could make a lot of the ways that these devices work. And I just wonder if we're going to end up in a situation like that again because none of these companies are willing to make concessions unless they're dragged through court to do it. Yeah. Tom asks, in traffic, <laughs> speed bumps are used to slow down cars. Yep. Why is it that with computers, a speed bump has the exact opposite meaning, implying an increase in speed? Okay. First off, I want a little sidebar here. Uh-huh. In the UK, these are speed humps, aren't they? Mm. Is that what they are? Are they humps? Uh, maybe. I don't... Some people could call them that, but equally people yeah. could call them speed bumps. I, I don't okay. really, I don't really, I don't hear anyone saying speed humps anymore. Okay. I, I saw, I mean, I saw there was a sign about, about speed humps. I remember when we were there five years ago. Also, I, I was told that they're often referred to colloquially as sleeping policemen. 
Yes, that that one less so much uh, now, but I think a sleeping policeman is also the ones that are painted black and white primarily. But yes, right. sleeping policeman I, I is just, a phrase I have I'm familiar it, with. That's hilarious, it's right? Because then right? you go over one and you're like, oh, we had a sleeping policeman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so okay. good. Um, the concept of a speed bump is coming to the etymology of it is it's a bump up in. Yeah features uh-huh. and it's generally a bump up in the speed of the processor and so when we say it's a speed bump what they mean is the company is bumping up the speed of the internals of it um and and it's become shorthand in the tech world for a change that is very minor that is just some internal spec changes and so it ends up being called a speed bump there have been other you know other phrases for that over time but that's that's the one that I end up using. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's the story. So it's it's not a a a speed bump, it's a speed bump. If that it's like the etymologies are totally different even uh-huh. though they end up at the same place. So that's and and it's funny, right? Like you have that moment where you're like, "Oh, they just bumped up the speed. It's a speed bump, like a speed bump, but not like it." And so we end up coalescing on the same phrase for both. That's the that's the story there. I I wish I could remember we used to call these things something else and I can't remember it now. It's like when I went to when I went to a uh, Mac world for Mac user at Mac user, all of our screenshots were called screen dumps. And so you'd be like, mm. get the dumps. Where did no. you, did you turn in the dumps? I need the dumps. And then I went to Mac world and they looked at me like I was a crazy person uh, <laughs> because it's, it's uh, here. It's screenshots. We don't use those unrefined terms. It's a screenshot, um, which is what everybody calls them now. So that's fine. Anyway, speed bump. <laughs> Fishikai in Discord says we should start calling them sleeping policemen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's the, try to remember three, that for the next the time M3 there is one. The M3 chip's got a real good sleeping policeman. Sleeping policeman. Yeah. This is basically a sleeping policeman update. <laughs> it was just funny to me that like I have never... I've said this so many times, right? Both things. Speed bump. I've said them both so many times. And I never tied it together in my brain that I'm saying the same phrase. And it right. means the exact opposite in those two scenarios. One increases the speed, one decreases speed. And I just thought that was I thought this was a very funny question. And I'm sure is one of the one of the many weird quirks in in the English language that we could just say these in, in context, you should understand them both ways. Uh, if you would like to send in a question for us to answer in a future episode of the show, just go to UpgradeFeedback.com and you can send in your Ask Upgrade questions there. Thank you to everybody that does. It was so great to have you back, Jason. It's good to be back. You can check out Jason's writing at sixcolors.com. You can hear his podcasts at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM. You can listen to my shows, of course, here on Relay FM as well, and check out my work at cortexbrand.com. We're both on Mastodon. You can find Jason on zeppelin.flights as at jasonl, and you can find me on mike.social as at imike. You can send your feedback and questions to upgradefeedback.com. Thank you to our members who support us with Upgrade Plus, and thank you to Fitbod and Squarespace for their support of this week's episode. But most of all, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Bye, everybody. 